Hey guys, so on this episode, I have a really cool and unique conversation with two doctors of physical therapy, um, Dr. John Song and Dr. Brennan Pappen, who really both specialize in working with powerlifters, specifically um, with a rehabilitation standpoint with physical therapy. And we have lots of really cool topics like how to respond to pain and training, um, how to rehab yourself, um, some really good principles of just pain and rehabilitation, as well as some unique programming perspectives and strategies from um, two physical therapists who specialize on working with one on the powerlifters. So you guys are really going to enjoy this, this episode, jam packed with a ton of in, really good information. Before we do get into it, I want to just let you guys know that I have a one-on-one -on -one coaching service that is really designed to let you add 50 pounds to your total, get a strong and aesthetic physique, and destroy your playing training plateaus in only 90 days. Um, and really, this is the whole culmination of seven years of coaching experience I've had, um, as well as you know, over $100,000 invested at this point in my ed education um, to really help you achieve your genetic potential and really see the best results of your life. So you guys can actually uh, can make I'll constantly be making PRs um, and seeing progress and really never have to worry about plateauing ever again. So that's something that you guys are interested in. Um, the links are down below in the show descriptions, or you can reach out to me on Instagram at Adam D. Peeler. Shoot me a message and I'll uh, love to chat with you. But without further ado, enjoy the episode. All right, guys, welcome back to the Adam Peeler Fitness Podcast. Today, I have my first roundtable uh, discussion with two doctors of physical therapy. Um, I have John Song and I have Brendan Pappen. Um, they both have um, pretty well-established like, physical therapy and coaching practices in the powerlifting space right now. Um, and I think that as far as like powerlifting rehab goes, I think they're kind of the two most, I guess, sought after right now coaches. Um, and, you know, Brendan and I talk regularly um, as we've been friends for a while and you know I've known John from just having just like lots of really good, good word of mouth and so I thought it'd be really really good to just get on here and sort of like get a little bit of perspective from you know two people that know what they're talking about about pain injury rehab um how structure training for a little bit better long-term progress while you know considering this and just lots of different things so um Brendan went to the University of uh, or Michigan State University is doctor of physical therapy. I have known yep, nothing so. about you, John. Apologies. Uh, no problem. Where University did you go to school? Buffalo. Oklahoma? Buffalo? Uh, University of Buffalo. 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 I was like, oh, okay, that's completely different. <laughs> my, yep. my, my bad. Um, but anyways, okay, cool. So, so is there anything that you guys would like the listeners to know before uh, we kind of dive right, right into it? Yeah, so I guess I'll kind of start off here, kind of give a bio about myself and where I went to school and stuff. Um, so I started off at Eastern Michigan University for my undergrad. I went there for exercise science. And then later on, I went to Western Michigan University for my doctorate of physical therapy. And then I graduated in 2021. And then ever since, I've just been kind of doing powerlifting coaching and also doing rehab coaching on the side. Yeah, pretty similar for me as well. Um, I took the exercise science route in the undergraduate for University of Buffalo. And then I did all seven years at University of Buffalo, graduating my doctorate in 2021 as well, too. While I was a student, I started off powerlifting coaching on the side. And that's something that just like Brendan just kind of took off after I graduated and had a little bit more time to allocate. Right. And then there's yeah. me. I'm like, I'm an athletic trainer, so I'm not really cool. But I'm as cool you know as, what? as you guys. Adam, you're so well versed in rehab like stuff. I mean, just the amount of like knowledge you've seeked out over the years between me, Kevin, like, I mean, how often do you and I talk on the phone? You know, probably once a week for about an hour, we just pretty much nerd out about stuff. So yeah. 
this is kind of just going to be going 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 to be that like on podcast. So I guess like one of the main things I wanted to ask um, is I think this is really you know I was really thinking about this and I want to ask you guys what are some main common problem problems that you guys see in powerlifting programming right right now or just how lifters train in general that really contributes to injury risk um, specifically. Um, yeah, so I guess like a lot of it comes from especially when I oversee like, you know, a lot of coaches programming, um, I think there's this mindset of what is the maximal recoverable volume that we can recover from and then make progress. But I think very little is talked about what is the minimal training dose you need to actually make progress and then building off of that. So I think a lot of it, like, especially when we're going through patient or client intakes, if we just find out like, hey, like, let's just get a dart on the dartboard be like, what is a good level that we could start at to build from instead of instantaneously kind of going to, okay, what is the max amount of volume this person can handle and recover from? Um, that's definitely something that I think is huge as well, too. And when I see programming and like when I work with patients online as well, too, a lot of it comes down to just bringing them back a little bit in terms of just giving them a little bit more recoverability. And that usually creates a lot of solutions within you know, aches and pains within powerlifting. Yeah, definitely a good point, John. Um, and just to kind of piggyback off that, um, it all comes down to a lot of it's just load management. And I think that's a really good point. That's something I really do as well. Instead of always trying to find that maximal dosage volume that you can recover from, why not find like a lower tier volume that you can consistently make progress with and stay healthy at the same time, you know, like, I think that's often overlooked. And a lot of times people just try to look for like, the biggest bang for the buck, regardless of what's going to happen in the future. And they kind of just don't understand it. Like, you know, just because I'm making this very fast track progress now, you know, all of a sudden, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get injured. And then what's going to happen, it's going to turn into like, two steps back. And then I have to start from kind of square one again. Yeah, that's something that I've seen a lot with them is like, you know, I got lots of lifters that come to me, I think that um, a lot of times the main holdup in powerlifting training, um, and really just progression is just, can you make consistent progress without getting, getting hurt? Um, Eric Helms is on, you know, I, I remember Eric Helms said this, he's like, well, I knew in order to get Bryce Lewis to be a national champion or world champion, all I had to do was just not get him hurt and, but find a way to, to help him make progress. And I think that lots of time, there's lots of things that people do in training because like, yeah, they want to make the most progress right now. And John, and I were actually talking this before you came on Brandon, where there's, um, there's a lot of pressure right now i think especially because you know everything everybody's training is on social media uh, everybody wants to make that really really fast progress you know that's the nature of, of the sport it's very objective um and especially with you know the talent pool rising it's people get like oh i have to do the absolute most possible just to feel like they're you know working hard and you know but one of the things i tell a lot of my athletes when they, when they come to me is like well do you want to work hard or do you want to make progress now both of them are going to happen, but there's a there's a smarter way to sort of structure that. So, going off of that, um, you know, we, you guys just discussed a little bit about volume. So, what's your perspective on training volume? What are some things that you might look at and you, you ask your athletes or people that come to you for rehab in terms of in terms of dissecting the volume problem? Um, generally, you know, being too much, or I guess how would you allocate that volume between different exercise slots, specifically competition specificity versus accessories? Uh, yeah, ready. definitely some good things. Yeah, definitely some good points right there, Adam, and kind of things to go off. Um, so basically, when I have a lifter that comes to me, one thing I tend to look at right away is their range of motion. Um, I tend to look at, is this lifter very efficient? Does this lifter have a very long range of motion? 
if it's usually the later, usually they might not be able to handle quite as many sets, quite as much volume as somebody who has like more efficient leverages in a movement pattern. So I'll kind of look at that first off. Um, and just seeing like, what's the issue going on? How are they responding? Um, what's their training looking like? Um, kind of a funny story to not necessarily funny, but one person who I had come to me for rehab coaching, um, I looked at their squats and they were having like really bad knee pain. And I looked at their programming and they were doing like 20 plus sets of 80% plus throughout the week. And I'm just like, man, like that is so much intensity, so much volume. And it's like, you know, it's no wonder you couldn't recover from that. And sure enough, like simple fix, just kind of scaling back on volume, um, seeing what they can handle first. I'm really big on using ascending sets when I have a rehab, uh, when I have a rehab client and kind of letting them auto-regulate up to a pain cap. Right. So I'll usually have my pain cap set at like two to three out of 10 and just kind of trying to find that entry point of like what feels good enough that we can still load. And with power lifter, power lifters, we already have such a high baseline with these movement patterns. I like getting back to them sooner than later because they have such a high skill level. We can we can use the competition movements as actual rehab. Yeah, so I'm kind of in the same sense, like during the initial evaluation or my initial encounter with either a client or a patient, I just try to paint a picture, right? So where is this lifter coming from? What is their current lifting environment like? So a couple of things I like to look at is one technique, like Brendan said, just getting a general analysis of a lifter's movement options. Are they going to be a lifter that has to put, for example, um, their elbow depth, right? That's something good to look at because if we're looking at elbow depth, we're looking at horizontal abduction. And subsequently, if we're looking at a lifter with a lot of chest you know, or discomfort or pec strains or even like bicep tendonitis, we want to look at, okay, is this a lifter where, you know, even at the bottom position, they're not really putting their pec through too much stress, or are they a taller lifter with longer arms who has to take their, you know, limbs through a longer range of motion? And from that, if that is, a, you know, something that we have to address, we'll take a deeper look at that. Another category is going to be, um, like Brendan said, movement or movement options or range of motion. If there are specific limitations within the joint, we want to make sure that we're able to make restorations across those joints to make sure that whatever movement a lifter is performing inside the gym, they have the prerequisite movement options to perform that task. Again, just another checklist to check off the box. And then lastly, programming considerations as well, too. Um, just what type of, you know, volume are they dealing with now in the present? I know a lot of lifters get fixated on, you know, what did I do in the past? What did my training numbers and volume look like when I hit a certain PR? But at the same time, I think it's extremely important. And I almost have this theory, like, you're only as strong as your most recent block. So let's focus on where you're coming from, how to build off that. And then from there, just heading into the direction that you want to get to instead of actually like fixating too much on the numbers. And I think when you're really able to instill those habits in a lifter early on, that's where you can get a lot of buy-in and just, you know, get good results as well, too. Definitely. And I think one thing, too, that I like to do, for some lifters, they're doing so many competition sets. It's like, do we really have to drive progress? Do we have to have all our volume from the competition lifts? You know, like we can do add in some accessory movements to kind of pack on extra tissue. And again, maybe we're not going to run into some of these overuse issues by kind of just having that movement variability in there and still having different accessories to kind of get those end results that we really want and kind of achieve that hypertrophy goal. Yeah, so I guess to answer one of the other questions that Adam has well too, like how do we know how to allocate volume to other movements? So a pretty good example would be someone like Angelo Fortino. Um, deep in his Raw Nationals prep, he was just a lift 
Luther that the competition movement specifically was an aggravating factor, right? But we know that to get him to that podium spot, we need him to get him back, like to get back into the competition movements. So one thing that we did was, okay, like, let's work down our exercise tier system. He can perform the squat, but there's a very like narrow window where it's like, okay, he can perform this amount of sets, this amount of reps, and then he starts getting symptoms. So in that thought process, we're like, okay, what's the next best thing? What's the next best thing to hold on to some of his training adaptations? And that's where just like simply put, like rehab is a lot like personal training, strength conditioning, where you just want to preserve, right? And you want to work through your exercise tier list to find the next best thing. So if we can't do a squat, can we do a pendulum squat? Can we do a hack squat, leg press? Um, at the very least, can we do something like a quad extension, hamstring curl, single leg, leg press, right? Just anything which we're able to add some additional volume, meaningful volume, and hold those training adaptations so that when we get back to where we need to go, um, you know, we're ready and we, we don't have this huge deficit of movement, right? So that's also, okay, if we can't tolerate the compound movements, what are our other options? Right, I think something that a lot of people don't consider too is that the number one driver of strength is intensity anyways. Um, as long as we're getting enough intensity stimulus throughout, throughout the week, you know, we just need enough back down work in order to, you know, actually preserve skill. And, you know, a little bit more familiarity with, 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 the, with the movement. Beyond that, I mean, you can train very, very, very generally. Um, there's lots of different ways to, to get strong. I think being open to different programming options from, you know, like if you're, you know, if you're somebody who is doing the typical powerlifter approach, um, where it's, you know, high, higher specificity, I know more that, you know, average intensity zone, you know, as coaches, I, I think we all do start off, you know, around those averages, because again, most people are averages. But coaching is really about individualizing and the rehab process is too, but understanding, well, how does this person stay healthier? A really good case study for this is one of my clients, Philip. He came to me with very high volume, very high frequency. Like we're talking three times a week of squatting, four times a week of benching, three times a week of, of uh, deadlifts is very, very high volume, very high um, specificity. And really I took control of his programming and really scaled back um, his intensity and his volume and his rate and his um his rate of exposure to the competition movement. And we kind of found through trial and error, especially on, on this last block going into his peak, Philip adapts really well, like lower, lower in intensities and also lower volumes on the competition movements. And then he just needs to do some accessory movement and he can be pushed those a lot harder. And that's how he, how he gets strong. You know, on the opposite end of the, of the spectrum, you have people like John Hack, who they just do a lot of intensity and not much else. But, you know, you kind of need to also find what that lifter can handle and recover, recover from and a lot of like, first of all, I go off of, I don't know about, about, about you, I go a lot of like feelings of soreness and just overall like fatigue, like going into the session, like how stiff do you feel going in? Like, are you actually feeling like, like you're recovered? Because I, I do think that it's okay to have some level of, of, of fatigue going into your sessions, but it has to be like a productive amount of fatigue, not something that's going to, you know, like I, I, I told Brandon this all the time, like, but my bench press has been really hard. I mean, well, I'm one of those people that's a lot of abduction, um, you know, throughout the range of motion. I have these really long arms. I'm like, I'm always sore and whatever. And it's like, well, I need to do like lower intensities and lower volume and lower skill exposure than I, I thought. Um, so in terms Sometimes of like Sometimes less is more. Yeah. Yeah. So in terms of like lowering down volume, what do you guys sort of do when you come to lift? You know, Brennan, you got a really great example of that lift with 20s. That's just really high volume. Like, what do you do in that scenario? Because, you know, from what I've read, the, you know, the literature basically says adding volume, it's about 10 to 20% at a time. Um, whereas lowering down and down volume, you know, say somebody's way above, you know, their maximum adaptive one, you know, let's, let's call it that. 
what do you do in that scenario? Yeah, so I'll kind of start off with things. And obviously, they're doing so many sets beforehand. A lot of times, I'm going to kind of volume dump a little bit. I'm going to kind of, I don't really want to give them a ton of sets. I want them to kind of feel good through that, like, movement pattern in general. Find what loading works for them and then kind of build up from there. Um, one of my favorite quotes from Greg Lehman, calm shit down, build shit back up, right? So we're going to really start the process by calming things down. I don't want this lifter to be in chronic pain and having those high like pain thresholds, right? Um, and I think one of the biggest things in rehab now, and probably one of the more modern science, you know, kind of um, tactics that we use, it's all involved in the like biopsychosocial method. Um, whereas like in the past, a lot of people would look at the biomechanics, which biomechanics still are very important. Um, but again, I really want to kind of desensitize this lifter to certain movement patterns, finding that entry point, what can they actually handle this time? Um, and one thing I like to do, I'll add in like rehab stuff at home, super light body weight movements, just getting them to move more frequently throughout the day. And it will kind of turn down those pain signals and kind of like tell that brain, hey, it's safe to move through this range of motion. You can kind of turn down pain signals versus if we're constantly pushing that high pain threshold, what's going to happen? it's going to turn into a snowball effect and you're just going to send more pain signals, send more pain signals, shut down. I want to protect that area from a potential threat. Yeah. And I think a lot of like your magnitude of a response to a situation ultimately depends on, you know, what state of discomfort a lifter is in. Right. So for a lifter who yeah. I guess has like, you know, relatively low amounts of discomfort, maybe around the ballpark of a less than a four out of 10, you know, that wouldn't warrant as much of a volume or intensity decrease as someone who, you know, every time they step onto the bar for a bench press, they're just, you know, feeling eight out of 10 pain and they can't even like tolerate the movement. Right. So I guess like to answer that question, ultimately it depends where they are currently and just how we approach that situation. But if like, I guess one of the biggest mistakes that I made um, first starting out as a PT and also a coach as well too, is that, you know, when I would start up a lifter, I would make them do drastically different things than what they were actually used to. So I would take an a lifter that's doing X amount of volume and just completely half that out, right? In the sake of like, you know, decreasing symptoms and making training more tolerable. And yes, there are situations where that's warranted for maybe like, you know, higher complexity cases where they have a lot of discomfort. But a lot of the times when a lifter is in pain and they're also feeling very weak in the movement because you drop so much volume, that could be something that just completely screws you up for, for later on in the rehab process. So I think the one thing that I've been trying to do as of recently is just, especially for lifters that are, you know, getting close to competition and they can't really afford a lot of downtime, I just try to meet them where, they at, where they're at and then try to pull back the minimal amount I need to to have them feeling some sort of improvement in symptoms. It doesn't have to be pain-free, but as long as the, the pain becomes stable, it's not a sharp discomfort and it's slowly improving session to session, I would say we're in a pretty good spot and it's really just small adjustments from that point. And, and that's a really good point, John. <clears throat> I think the biggest thing is finding that entry point. For some people, that could very well be like, 75 to 80% where they're still lifting pain-free. You might even be able to keep some heavy singles in, you know, up to like higher percentages, you know, like even 85%, if they can tolerate it, you know, and it's mostly pain-free, eventually they're going to kind of habituate to that low pain. And eventually that noxious stimulus is going to become less noxious over time. Um, and there's also like more extreme cases where sometimes we have to scale back to really lower percentages between 30 to 60%. Um, 
what I like to do, if I can get a lifter to like 60% right away, a lot of times we're going to maintain a lot of those adaptations. But I do find if we start really deviating and really getting to low, very lower percentages of like their one rep max, um, a lot of times they're going to really start detraining fast. And usually there's like a couple week windows. Um, but I will say a lot of people, like, I don't know about you, John, but how, how soon do you get your lifters back to training the competition movements? Yeah, so I guess like, again, it kind of depends on like what the severity of that discomfort is. Um, for the most part, I would say like 99% of the cases that I work with, I try to have some sort of competition lift volume in there as part of their rehab. Because again, like, I think a lot of that goes into buy-in and just like what their perception of success is right within rehab, where it's like, you know, they could have a lot of pain, but ultimately if they're able to squat bench and deadlift again, that's going to be something that they, you know, kind of like classifies as success rate. Right. So for me, right. I try to keep it in most of the times, unless there's very like high uh, pain levels or just, you know, pain ratings and their subjective history where I'm like, okay, like it's probably not a safe idea to just reintroduce them into heavy barbell pressing or heavy bilateral symmetrical movements. So, but yeah, to answer your question, I would say most of the time I would just introduce them right away or um, some sort of a variation movement. Yep. Exactly. And more times than not with my own lifters, um, right after an injury, we're already starting that rehab process right away. We're already doing like simple body weight movements, just trying to desensitize, bring down those pain levels. And more times than not, that very next session that they're scheduled to train that movement pattern, we are still loading through that exact competition movement. Um, and what I like to do, I like to kind of tear it down. So first off, if they can handle that competition movement, we're going to go with that competition movement. Next off, we're going to alter velocity. So adding in our tempo stuff and a lot, sometimes with that tempo, that slower velocity movement, pain tends to seem a little bit lower, just their perceived pain, which is kind of good. We want to keep them in that low pain threshold. Um, after that, I kind of tear it down even one step lower if they can't handle that. And I'll even shorten the range of motion. So if it's like a bench press, maybe go to like a block press. Um, but more times than not, more like most of my lifters can either handle at least the competition movement or a tempo eccentric within that competition movement. What value do you guys see? Like, so, you know, you mentioned that, you know, say a lifter has pain, like a certain area of the range of motion, say it's like right in the hole of a squat, but they can still load like pretty heavily, like to maybe like a slightly above parallel, like a box squat. In terms of intensity, you know, you, you know, you said it's important to maintain that intensity um, stimulus for, for, for strength purposes. Would you still push that harder or would you sort of wait until you know, they can actually access that range of motion with heavier loads because like, I think there's a lot of value in block periodization for like the general templates for um, programming, but you know, we also need to keep depending on the level of advancement too, you know, if you are longer than, you know, a couple of weeks from that was really high intensities, like they can really start to feel really heavy. Um, how do you sort of find a good little balance? I guess both, both, both John and Brendan. Yeah. So that would just kind of fall back to like what I see during the initial evaluation. So, okay. So for example, if you have pain in the lower back, as you're going into the hole on the squat, I try to decipher, is this a movement issue or technique issue where is this lifter just pitching forward on the bottom of the squat, unable to manage their center of mass and losing that kind of like heel to heel, the midfoot displacement that you see in a lot of power lifters. If that's the case, that's something to work on. And then we would reassess and say, hey, like after doing this adjustment, does it feel a little bit better? If 
you know, that works out great. If it's more of a movement issue where they're like, okay, you know, during our body weight squat assessment, they, I know it's not a true one-to-one -one comparison, like comparing a body weight squat to a low bar squat, but are they able to access to positions required, right? If they're not, and you feel like they have a lot of shifting, they're, you know, showing lots of range of motion deficits, for example, like hip external rotation, something that's really important to get to the bottom position of a squat. Um, if those are present, then we would just work on those again, reassess, see if that improves their pain symptoms. If it does great. And then lastly, if we address all those things and we're like, okay, this is still not really the result we're looking for. Um, we would take a look at other things like training considerations. Are they doing a lot of very compressive, um, low back demanding exercises going into these sessions? And is this just a case of acute fatigue or just soreness going into the session? Or could we possibly restructure training days, modify volume to um, perhaps get, go into the session feeling a little bit more fresh? So those are probably the steps that I would look at first. Yeah, I like that. And yeah, to kind of answer your question, Adam, about like a box squat. Um, chances are if they can't handle a competition squat, they can't handle a tempo eccentric squat, um, with it being a box squat, I'm probably going to keep it kind of lower percentage base. Um, nothing too crazy. I don't want them to exceed like an RP, probably five or six, even, um, especially with it being a novel movement. I don't want to throw them into a novel movement and just have them go super heavy right away. I want to kind of build adaptations within that range of motion before we really like, and I know there's something to be said about like just maintaining the ability to like handle heavy load. But chances are, like, if I can still even load between that 60 to, like, 75, even 80%, I'm going to, like, still achieve maintaining some of those adaptations previously. Right, especially because I, I think that, you know, as long as your pyramid is properly structured, I mean, that transition phase into higher intensity is, like, it's not it's not that bad as long as you're maintaining your general strength, too. That's probably what matters, matters the most because, like what you guys both said, reality is really just progressive strength, strength training, which is why it baffles me a lot you know, physical therapists and even what I've, what I've heard from Brennan is like most even PT schools don't even like really teach about like <laughs> basic programming principles and like how to actually like add, add weight and, uh, and whatnot. So I guess like asking you guys too that, like in terms of, you know, somebody is in terms of managing intensity, we obviously talked about, okay, there's simply going to be a certain range of percentages that they can handle. Um, you know, how would you recommend, you know, somebody progress, um, their actual load on the, on the bar. I have heard two schools of schools of thought. I've heard of keeping a very fixed load and just keeping that very slow and, and, and progressed or allowing the literature to auto-regulate based off their pain symptoms when they can actually, how much they can actually add to the, to the bar. Uh, Brandon, you want to start that? Yeah, I'll go ahead and start here. So a lot of times when I have a rehab client that comes in, um, obviously I've always, I've already talked about like finding that starting point. Um, with a lot of lifters too, I want to kind of control their rate of progression, right? Because sometimes you'll have a lifter that feels phenomenal right away and they're just diving right back into really, you know, high intensities. And what's going to sometimes happen? You regress. So, you know, with a lot of people, especially if they've been in pain for a long time, I really want to kind of control that rate of progression. Slow progression, I'll kind of, you know, manage that, give them a cap. And then, you know, over the course of a couple of weeks, they're going to start really getting confident and then eventually, you know, as we kind of adapt to that initial loading that we kind of are able to manage and handle, then we start adding load to the bar more so and just keep gradually, you know, increasing that load over time. Um, and it can vary person per person to person. It's going to vary case to case. Um, I will say from my experience, when I get um, clients that come in for rehab coaching, if they've been in chronic pain for a long time, 
more times than not, it takes a little bit longer to kind of get them over that hump. Whereas I get a client that comes to me right away after an acute injury, and we can manage that and be like proactive right away. Those, those lifters tend to turn the corner a lot quicker, especially with just that guidance, that guidance, um, doing all the different, all the things that they need to be doing stuff at home, you know, increasing their daily active movements, loading through ranges of motion still. Um, and, you know, obviously managing their load in the gym, but all the movements throughout the day, all the rehab stuff, just at higher frequency, it usually gets them feeling better by the time they get back in the gym. And a lot of the stuff I have them doing at home, the super light body weight movements, it's very, it's very comparative to like your squat, your bench, your deadlift, um, you know, hinging tempo, body weight squats, just getting them to move through those ranges of motion. Yeah. I think a really important concept to grasp is just a simple fact that a lot of times within rehab and even strength training, generally speaking, neurological adaptations happen first as compared to physiological, like just like muscular hypertrophy adaptations. So I think a lot of the times, um, you know, just within, like, I'm sure you guys have examples of lifters on your roster where you know, they might be working through some discomfort and then it, it could be something minor, right? And they're like, okay, just to be safe, I'm going to take a couple of days off of training and then just give it a rest, right? And then they get back into training and then all of a sudden, because they have that acute, almost like built-in deload almost, right? They're like, okay, I feel great within training, right? And then they're getting back in the movements like, hey, John, this is great. Like, I have no pain. And then they do a movement. They're like, I feel very strong. And then what happens a couple of days later? They, they're in crippling discomfort because they haven't done that movement in such a long time. They have a lot of soreness. And in extreme cases, it could usually resent, result in some sort of re-injury or just increase in symptoms down the line as well, too. So I think it's very important to stay on top of load and just make sure that you're limiting the rate of progression week to week, because if you don't do that, there's a high likelihood that, okay, one, one week a lifter could be doing 405 on squats. Next week, they could be putting up a five plate squat and that acute increase in load could be something that really sets them back. And again, their strength is going to come back a lot quicker than their body's tolerance to loading. So I like to just, you know, whatever their max is, or just, um, I guess like estimated one rep max at the time, I like to pace out progressions week to week to make it something reasonable where they're able to make strength increases week to week, but it's not too much to the point where, you know, they can't recover from that. I really like and, what you said about how just reminding that like the neurological happens before like the actual physical changes. I think that's really important. And I think another good thing that you kind of just brought to my mind, John, how much of this stuff is really like, it comes down to the lifters, like psychology, how, how they mentally perceive this injury, you know, a lot of times, like what we do, it's a lot of education-based stuff. Um, just really reassuring that lifter of like, here's our plan. And you know what? Guess what? It's not all going to be, a, you know, a linear progression straight up. You're going to have ups and downs. You're going to have good days. You're going to have bad days. And just understanding how to manage those good and bad days, that's going to be everything. Um, yeah, I think that's incredibly important. Sorry, Adam, were you going to say something? No, carry on, man. Carry on. Um, but yeah, like just branching off of what you said, I think that's incredibly important, especially within a rehab block or a rehab style training period, right? Where at the end of the day, I don't necessarily define a successful rehab block as, you know, a four week cycle, four to eight week cycle where they have completely no symptoms, they get through with no difficulties, right? Because at the end of the day, if we don't build this mental robustness or just ability to manage ups and downs within training, Ultimately, when that does happen, so for example, you go through like an eight-week rehab block, 
Um, and then you have no symptoms and you're like, okay, everything went beautifully. And then the second you take uh, the training wheels off and you're getting back into normal training volume again, what happens, right? You have pain. And then all of a sudden you're like, holy shit, what am I doing wrong that I wasn't doing before? Right. So to a certain degree, I know it kind of sounds a little evil in a sense. I almost prefer a lifter have a little bit of adversity um, during their rehab block where it's like, okay, I, I go into some of these training sessions. I have maybe like a two to four out of 10 discomfort. Some days I might even be in that red light range, but just having the ability to have the confidence and the mental um, just strength to go through some of those situations can be something that, again, I think it's important that a physical therapist ingrain those qualities within a patient to almost ensure that future success for future injuries, um, you know, wherever on the body, it doesn't have to be the original place, but, you know, just being able to tolerate, you know, ups and downs. Yeah, definitely. And just really empowering that patient or client that, you know, we are resilient human beings, you know, like we're not made of glass. Whereas like, I feel like a lot of the, you know, there's a lot of the health, health profession, like field, they're really kind of big on like, they kind of instill this fear avoidance into their patients. And a lot of people just think they're, you know, they're easily broken. Like, um, you know, whereas like, look at all the stuff we do in powerlifting. Look at all the maximal, like heavy loading. Look how far the sports come and just how much people can really handle. Like the human body is amazing. Just how it's adaptable. You can handle these heavy weights. Like more times than not, you're really not going to do severe structural damage from powerlifting. You know, like, and I think just really reassuring that patient that, hey, we're going to we're going to get back. You know, it's not going to be a straight shot right up. There's going to be ups and downs, but together we're going to get there. Yeah, I really like that because, I mean, one analogy that I tell my, my lifters is like, you know how you have those primary days that feel ideally pretty good for that lift. And you have your secondary or your tertiary days that are like, can I feel a little bit more, bit more beat up? Like a lot of times coaching in that area, even as just educating your lifters, like that every day is going to feel amazing. But you got to just, you know, learn how to ride the ups and downs and learn how to auto-regulate and understand that, you know, that it's just, you're not, you're not going to feel the same way every day, regardless of um, what you are doing. And rehab is really no different. And I think that you said a really great thing about the whole mental robustness. I feel like just in general, like a lot of times, you know, like I, I strain my, my, my lats um, really bad. Like uh, I remember, I was at the hottest streak of deadlifts I had in my life. I kept feeling like, like this is nagging pain. Like, oh, it'll, it'll go away. It'll, it'll go away. I just kept pushing things. Um, and then all of a sudden, just like, you know, five, seven, three for six. And it snapped on like the, on the last rep. And I was like, crap. But uh, like, you kind of will like learn how to like deal with that. And it's, I think it's, you know, it's somewhat since it's, it's like, it's been good for me because it has taught me, well, this is a productive PT. This is okay to feel. This is not okay to feel. Because ultimately, like experience is that really is that best teacher of knowing how hard that you can can, can push when you need, you need to back off. Like I was really proud of myself this last prep um, with like my, my bench press was just terrible. I felt like crap, like everything was super sore. And old Adam would have been like, I'm just going to push through, through this because the taper will come. But I, oh, I, I've old, been there old before. I, I miss those days. <laughs> I've been there before and I was like, not up in here. I got to pull back on, on the volume a little bit. And I took the low end of all my ranges that week going into my primary day, and then I PR'd. And so just kind of understanding like performance is, 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 is dynamic and, you know, building that mindset of understanding, well, not every day is going to feel great. And I need to be okay with dealing with dealing. And piloting in general, you need to learn how to tolerate some pain anyways. 
And like pain isn't always bad. Like pain is literally necessary. Like we're literally tearing apart our bodies <laughs> when we're training to build them back up stronger. So injuries where we've gone past that tolerable loading point. So I guess when like I guess when you guys are educating your clients on like pain and and an injury, like what are some things that you really do try to just teach them that you think is just really just important for every powerlifter to know? Yeah. So I think the first thing that I start off with every eval or just at least the point that I want to drive home is just this concept that, Hey, like, just cause we had this meeting, it doesn't mean that the following sessions are going to be completely pain-free. Right. I think it's incredibly important to set the right expectations early on that way. It doesn't lead to disappointment down the line. Right. Because I think a lot of people have this kind of like image in their back of their head of rehab where it's like, okay, you get treated, you do a couple of drills and you feel a lot better or you just have no pain. Right. So one of the concepts that I found really helpful, and this is something um, that we learned in physical therapy school, but I really apply that to, you know, every situation when I can is the stoplight principle. Um, simply put, it's just pretty much just a classification of what type of discomfort are you dealing with at the moment and how to evaluate. Is it okay to push through this? Is it not okay? Or is it something that you shouldn't worry about? And within that stoplight system, um, just to go through it briefly, you have the, the red light, which just means pain is increasing every single set with load and it's relatively a higher amount of discomfort. That's a situation where if you feel that, just you know, don't panic. All you have to do is just either decrease the load or just change the exercise selection for the day, right? Green light just simply means you have no pain. You can just follow the program. The yellow light, arguably one of the most important lights out of the three, is just a light where you feel some discomfort, but two scenarios occur, right? It's either the pain is stable and a low intensity as you're increasing the weight throughout your warmups, or it actually gets a little bit better, right? So if it's staying the same, it's stable, or it's a little bit better, that's also a perfectly acceptable place to train. And I like to give that to a lot of lifters just so they have that in their back of their head. Because when you're feeling pain, whether you're a physical therapist, a rehab specialist or not, when you feel pain inside the gym, it's a very emotional response as well too. And you start panicking, right? So just being able to take a step back and being like, oh, okay, right. I feel this pain. What light am I going to give it, right? And I tell every lifter, just give it a light. If it's a green or a yellow, just proceed with the steps listed and then just repeat that process. And it, again, it can be for any injury. Most of the time, it doesn't have to be specific to what you're currently dealing with. But I think that kind of creates that element of just that mental robustness that we talked about um, and just being able to navigate and just be independent with certain situations. Brendan, do you have anything to say about that? About that? Yeah, I, I definitely like a lot of that. And just really, that's the biggest part too, is like understanding where they're coming from. Pain is like, it's subjective. It comes down to people's emotions. There's the, We have feelings. Um, a lot of times, you know, there's more going on than just like biomechanics. There's so much going on. I hate the whole analogy of like, human beings are like cars. Um, I've heard that a lot. And it's just like, we're not like cars at all. We adapt, you know, like we recover naturally. We have feelings, we have emotions and all these things play into pain itself. So, um, and one thing I like to do for a lot of my clients is really looking into their like outside life. What are you doing outside? Do you have a very stressful life? Do you not get a lot of sleep? How's your nutrition? How's your recovery? You know, um, do you have so much going on in your family life. Like there's so many different variables involved and so many things that kind of factor into pain. Um, and I think just being able to look at that big outside, the entire picture, not just being short-sighted, but being able to look at this individual as a whole, pain as a whole, and kind of finding what's going on. Right. So um, obviously when it comes to um, 
programming strategies, because I think we talked a lot about some really good, good, good stuff here. Um, what are some really big, pro you know, Brennan, you mentioned as ascending sets. What are some other programming strategies that you guys would like to use with, with rehab or, you know, just in general, you think that powerlifters should do in their training in order to make sure they actually can make big progress while managing risk of injury, like most productively. I guess I can start off here. Um, and Adam, you kind of mentioned this first off, and I'm going to kind of bridge off this. Um, you're talking about like being able to still have that intensity in there. One thing I like having is still having one heavy intensity set and even dropping those back downs even more. Like who's to say you can't drop your back downs by like 50% to make that movement pattern feel good. Um, and that's one strategy I like to use just so you still maintain that, you know, that top high end intensity, kind of like maintaining that skill back down with a bigger low drop percentage and make that movement pattern feel good. And you're still accumulating some volume and it gives you a baseline to work with. And then you slowly just start chipping away off that. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of different things you could do. And I think that would be no different than with just the, the regular tools that you would have in like a powerlifting coach's toolbox as well, too, where you have your tempos, you have your pause squats, you have, um, you know, maybe even like ascending sets, like Brendan mentioned, if it's in that in itself, that that's kind of like a forced warm up, right? If you have a lifter that's taking crazy jumps, and then by the time they get to their top set, they still feel cold within the movement. And you're like, okay, this doesn't look like any other issue other than this lifter just doesn't feel fluid and they don't feel warm by their top set. We might want to just structure in like almost like a quote unquote forced uh, rate of progression or even like a warm up. Um, but again, ultimately, it depends on the lifter that you have in front of you. So if you see certain qualities that you have to work on, for example, you have a lifter that's just dive bombing the shit out of their bottom squat, um, we might have to just force something like in a tempo eccentric. Um, but let's say you do a tempo eccentric and then you have a lifter that's like, okay, this is so far from what I do normally that it just feels completely off, right? And then that actually increases their perception of pain because they're, they're, the movement to them is just so awkward being that they're more of a fast descent squatter, for example. Um, so you might just say, hey, let's just do something like a pause squat, right? Where it's like, you kind of have to force yourself to put on the brakes as you go into the hole. That whole concept of momentum, um, if you have a car that's coming at you 30 miles per hour, you're probably not going to be able to stop it. But if it's rolling towards you in neutral, you could probably stop it and even reverse that direction. And I kind of like to use that analogy a lot for lifters with the bench press and um, the squat as well, too. And the pause squat is a great example of something where it just, you know, demands a little bit more control in that bottom position. And it's something that could be a load limiter as well, too, for your rehab population. So again, it ultimately depends on what lifter that you have in front of you. What did you define in your needs analysis and where to go from there? I think yeah, really I love that you got, go ahead, Brennan. Go ahead, Adam. I was, I was just saying like, I want to just point out to all listeners, like John said, it's the same thing as training. I really want people to just understand that because like this stuff is nuanced and it's complicated and you need to understand how to diagnose things. Once you've identified the issue, you know how to troubleshoot, you know, you have basically, it's just like any coaching, you know, it's like, Oh, you have like, you know, every coach has like their own like programming system or like the decision list, like that they can kind of go through. It's the same thing with, with, with rehab, you know, and the main thing the guy said is, Hey, let's find a starting point and let's just progress from, from, from there using several different programming strategies, maybe that you see with, you know, maybe it's a technique issue. Okay. Or I want to do some variations going to force them to that. Maybe it's, you know, something with, you know, how they're loading or a certain joint or whatever. Like anyways, it's like, you're going to basically just program in a way that's intelligent by space. That's something understanding of what's in front of you. Yep. And I like that. And uh, one really good post that John had, um, I read your center of mass post 
And I mean, that's crucial, man. I think that's really good stuff. And that's what a lot of like powerlifting comes down to is like, how can I be as efficient as possible to handle more workload? You know, being able to manage that center of mass is so crucial into like just having a better economy, you know, distributing the load better. Um, and I think one thing me and Adam have talked about this before too, is like adding in those variations to better manage those things. Like for center of mass, managing center of mass. I think the pause squat is a phenomenal way to really, you know, manage center of mass on, especially like a squat movement, you know, um, and kind of using those variations to get to our desired point. Um, if it's something that we think is biomechanically wrong, we can kind of program in some of these variations to kind of help improve their ability to just be a little more efficient. How much does technique, like, you know, technique yeah. actually like impact injury risk though and like, and whatnot, because, you know, I give the example of somebody who's constantly deadlifted with a lot of kyphosis in their lower back, um, you know, versus, you know, and they're, they're used to that, you know, we, we kind of, you know, we know that if you're used to loading a certain joint or tissue a certain way, certain joint angles, whatever, like it's, it's, you know, strong. And I've seen lots of times, like I've had some issues as a coach. This is something where I've, I've learned too, where I'm trying to see something like that. I'm trying to change it. Like one of the things I'll do is I know that, well, they're not used to that loading. I will go back to like, maybe like top set of five and sort of like a single, because it's, I know they're not used to that. Um, but like, you know, how much does technique actually play a role in injury? And then like, if you are to try changing their technique, what's a way to do so in a way that doesn't, you know, put you at risk of injury? Yeah, so I like to first take a look at like how a lifter views their technique in the first place, right? So someone who's a world record squatter, right? You might not want to change too much within their squat, but at the same time, as a clinician, I don't think you should be afraid of making the interventions where you see necessary because surprisingly, like you'd be surprised at how many high level squatters are constantly changing their technique. And it could just be a matter of like, we might not actually have to change anything. We might just have to give them certain things to look for um, because a lot of these like high level squatters, they go by feel, right? So they, they just do what feels right. But then when you come into a session and then you just have a lot of soreness, fatigue and discomfort, you might move differently subconsciously. So just giving them some guardrails so that even at their worst sessions, they're still within the guardrails and they're moving efficiently. I think that's something that's incredibly useful. But again, I like to look at like, you know, there's a couple of cases where a lifter just, you know, again, doesn't feel very confident. They're constantly making changes. We might need to add some consistency. And at the end of the day, right, technique plays a large role in load management, because if you have a lifter that is um, going through some lower back discomfort on something like the deadlift, right? A simple adjustment in just how we're ma managing our center of mass can make a diff big difference in how certain muscle groups are biased, right? So if we have a lifter that is over wedging, quote unquote, on the deadlift, right? And that's pretty much defined as, I guess, the shoulders rotating behind their center of mass, which is their midfoot. Then if you're looking at the joint angles, the hips are going to drop lower. The, the, the amount of torque that goes through the lower back is going to increase as well, too, because now your hips are effectively lower and further away from your center of mass as well, too. That could be something where if we just make a simple adjustment, we're like, hey, just let's fix up that wedging, line you up better with your center of mass, and just see how that improves just the, your average lower back discomfort during the movement and after the movement. If it's a case where they feel a lot better and we didn't really have to change much, I think that's a huge win as well, too. And that's a low-hanging fruit that a lot of clinicians end up missing because they're sometimes they're just too afraid of making those changes that they need to. Right. And I think one thing to go off that too is time and place for these things, right? 
if I have a meet coming up, it's probably not going to be the best time to really change my technique or form unless it's absolutely like an absolute must. And chances are, if I'm in that much pain, I'm probably going to have to drop out of this meet. Um, but just knowing your time and place when to really work on technical efficiency and kind of making those changes. Um, if you're deep in the off season, it's a really great time to kind of make those changes and, you know, just work on your, I like to call it lifter economy and just your ability to basically handle load. In theory, the more efficient we are and the more symmetrical we are through a movement pattern, we're probably going to be able to handle more workload and more total volume before we start running into some of these overuse issues versus that lifter that's, you know, overly rotated or has a hip shift or something like that. More times than not, you're still going to repeat, adapt to that repeatable movement pattern if you do it over and over again, but you might not, in theory, be able to handle quite as much workload and quite as much total work as somebody who's a little more perfectly symmetrical because they're just distributing the load a little more evenly throughout the tissues versus somebody who has these kind of movement, you know, imbalances. I don't really like that term first off, but um, a lot of times, sometimes, you know, if they're doing is like too much work, you're going to start running into probably some of these overuse issues. So also just finding that sweet spot dosage and like me and John talked about earlier about like, what's actually the minimal effective dosage that we can still make progress and stay healthy. That's going to be so important, finding that and still being able to progress and adapting these repeatable movement patterns. Yeah. And I think that's incredibly important as well, too, because confidence is a big thing, right? If we're looking at like injury aside as a coach, right? One thing that you should be looking at is if a lifter is getting close to the meat, and they feel confident in movement, there's a little bit of deviation from what you'd probably prefer, but that's completely fine, right? Because at the end of the day, if you're trying to put your maximal amount of effort or force into the bar and you're hesitating, hesitation is inhibition, right? And you're just gonna feel, it's it's kind of like the analogy of like you putting your hand into like a paper bag, right? And you don't know what's in that paper bag. And all of a sudden you feel something like fuzzy or like it could be like a spider or whatever it is, right? And you're like, oh, okay, what the hell is that? And that's the same thing like, you know, technique and confidence within that as well too, where it's like, if you're hesitating, you're not going to be confident in your decision-making and odds are you just, if that's going to lead to decreased performance. So I think a lot of times it's just instilling that confidence when a lifter where it's like, okay, maybe some things are a little bit off here and there, but that's not the end of the world. And you just got to see where you are in that injury rehab timeline or continuum and just know when it's appropriate to intervene. I think also having a very wide, um, I guess like a wide bank of like what you know is like acceptable like tech technique for lifters understanding based especially based on like how they how they look and how and how they move you know like for me I have these really long legs and long arms so like I can I actually go have a weird looking deadlift like regardless if it's sumo or if it's conventional with really high hips so I'm going to bias a little more in a flexion in my upper, upper back and that's totally fine I think a big role as a coach too is also to you know like you said find that technique that's strongest for them is likely the position that's strongest for them is, is the position their joints are going to be strongest in, their tissues are going to be strongest in, and they're probably going to be able to make the best long-term progress with that anyways. Um, especially like, you know, if they're, as they get, you know, really finding that too. And I think this is one of the biggest benefits of having a coach too. There's so many, but like one of the things I really think is so important early on in your powerlifting career is having a coach who is skilled with technique analysis, who can show you early on, when more learning is easier, how to move in a way that's going to better enhance your long-term rate of progress, um, your confidence with movement pattern and not guesses. I can't tell you how many times I have lifters who come to me who have very poor technique or come from me and they are experiencing some pain or they lack confidence. And that's a really big thing with, you know, their overall strength and getting up is it's different session to session. 
Um, they don't feel good in the movement, movement, movement pattern. They're going to feel like soreness in different areas or whatever. And so it just really helps and just, just invest in that area. And uh, yeah, I feel like if your coach doesn't know how to really coach technique, you don't really have a good, you don't really have a coach. You have a programmer. Yeah. And one thing too, is as human beings, we're not going to be perfectly symmetrical, like beings, like as we're not made to be perfectly symmetrical. If you took like hip measurements of like leg lengths of every single power lifter out there, you'd probably find differences in like a large majority of them. So like we're going to have some slight deviations, but in the end, like long scheme of things, it's really not going to matter too much. You mean to tell me if my favor test says I love, like it says I'm off, it's not the end of the world. It, it depends who you're asking. If you're asking me or Squat University, it's gonna vary, oh, very, very, very. I am lifter B. <laughs> lifter B. Yeah, right. Yeah, just just put that block button next to uh, Squat University. You'll be good. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. That man. is great <laughs> advice for everybody. Um, so guys, I, this was freaking awesome. Um. I really enjoyed the conversation. Um, is there anything else you guys wanted to really just quickly address before uh, we wrap things up? No, I think we pretty much covered everything. Um, yeah. I had a good time. Adam, thank you for having me on. Brendan, it was great meeting you. And we had some really good conversations. Yeah, absolutely, man. And if any patients, anything like that, or clients are out there with pain, um, feel free to inquire to me or John for rehab consults. You know, we'd be more than happy to help out. Um, and again, it goes a long ways just being equipped with these, you know, people that understand physical therapy and, you know, training in itself. You guys, so, and yeah, put, uh, you guys use, use code you Adam Peeler for a discount. <laughs> What's that? Use the Adam Peeler discount code. Adam Peeler discount. Adam Peeler for this podcast. Yeah, I'll start doing that with all uh, my guests. Yeah, I love that, man. And yeah, Adam, just a pleasure, man. Obviously, we talk all the time and dude, always a blast being on your podcast and pleasure meeting you too john yeah well. the, the whole, uh, you guys have made the intro very easy for me or the outro wow holy crap you guys made the outro <laughs> very easy for for me and i fucked up you know, i had one thing i have one job um so thank you guys for listening i'm going to include um links to um both their uh, pages as well as the links to their um uh, services if you guys you guys can, can book, book them um but if you guys have uh, any questions for them like definitely feel free to hit them up in their dms they'll get back to you and get you moving and, and feeling right so Thank you guys so much for listening to the podcast. Um, we'll catch you guys on the next one.